Hi, welcome to the Growth Mindset Gal podcast with your host, me, Allie Brooke. In this podcast, we'll be discussing self-care routines, mindset practices, and mindfulness habits. We'll combat the stigma around mental health in order to create a safe and open community for people to connect and not feel alone. Focus on your mindset rather than your situation. It's a game changer. Grow your mindset and look how far you'll go. Hi, guys, and welcome back to the Growth Mindset Gal podcast with your host, me, Allie Brooke. Happy Mindful Monday, everybody. I hope everyone is doing well and ready to start off their week on a positive and mindful note. I just want to take a moment to thank everyone who's been listening so far. Um, I am on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts as well. And if you are listening on Spotify, make sure to follow me um, for any updates on new episodes. And then if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. I really want to know what you guys think of of this podcast so far. If you want to um, talk to me or ask me any questions or give me any ideas for the podcast, my my Instagram, if you're not already following me, is at the Growth Mindset Gal. I'm pretty much very um, active on Instagram. I also have Twitter, it's at Mindset Gal, but I'm pretty much just regurgitating what I put on Instagram onto my Twitter. And then I'm also on TikTok, which is at Growth Mindset Gal, if you want to follow me on any of my social medias. But I want to take a moment to really thank you guys for listening so far. I created again this podcast just to kind of share different things about self-care and mindset that I've learned throughout my own kind of experiences and going through therapy for about a year and coping with my chronic anxiety. And as a teacher, it is my natural um kind of pursuit and purpose to share the information that I learn. And that is the exact reason why I'm starting this podcast. So hopefully um, this show has been helping you guys, um, you know, and has impacted you in a positive way. And if you have any questions or you want to share ideas with me or guests I should have on this podcast, please DM me on Instagram. I'm more than happy to answer any questions or talk about any topics as well. So my growth mindset gals and guys... It is Mindful Monday, and the first segment of every Growth Mindset Gal podcast is a little quote from the Doing Well Daily Journal. So today's quote is, take the chance. Take the chance. And I think that is literally like the motto for 2021, at least for me, and I know for many others as well, is just take the chance. Because what I personally learned from going through quarantine of 2020, living through a pandemic, is just life is too short to just go through the motions and live life safely. I actually started reading this book, um, Choose Wonder Over Worry by Amber Ray. I love it so far. I'm going to do a whole podcast um, about the books that I enjoy for self-care and self-development. And I'm about a couple chapters in. And a line that really stood out to me that kind of relates to this Doing Well Daily quote is, don't die with your dreams still inside you. And I was like, whoa, 
Like, don't die with your dreams still inside you. And that struck a chord with me because I know a lot of people, they take their comfort zone easy way lifestyle and they just kind of go by the books. And I was very much like that. You know, I'm an Enneagram six and I like routine and I like structure. Um, I don't really like taking any chances, but what being in a pandemic and quarantine, all the things that happened in 2020s made me realize that life is just too short to worry about what people are going to think of you. And that sometimes you should take a risk if, you know, you really feel a deep purpose and service inside you to share with the world. So definitely take that chance. What's the worst that can happen? You fail. Okay. So now you learned what works and maybe what doesn't work, and then you can move forward from it. And I know it's easier said than done, and I'm still coping with that kind of fear of failure sort of deal. But I definitely think 2021 is the year for people to be taking more chances and serving their lives purpose because I truly believe that everyone on this planet is here with a service and a purpose that you are here to contribute something to this world either small in your community or big globally everyone has something to offer so take that chance right make sure you have a plan right just don't go take the chance willy-nilly that's where a lot of people kind of get off the rail with that. Take a chance, have a plan and a strategy in mind to take that chance and do it because life is short and you don't want to die with your dreams inside you. So today's episode, which is episode five, is about imposter syndrome. And I've kind of learned throughout you know, going through a year of therapy, what imposter syndrome actually is. So that's what we're going to be focusing on today is what is imposter syndrome? What are the different types of imposter syndrome and how can we cope with it? Because many people have it and they think it's maybe just a little bit of insecurities here and there, especially, you know, their skills and their work ethic and the skills that they can provide for people. But it kind of goes much deeper than that. And that's the topic I really want to focus on today. And before we get to in the imposter syndrome and how to cope with it, I wanted to read you guys a blog of mine, which is on medium.com. Um, my blog is in the link in my bio on Instagram. So here we go. The blog is called Don't Drink the Poison of Perfectionism. Throughout your life, you naturally wanted to be amazing at every skill or job life threw at you. Our human state at our core is the aspiration to be wanted or needed. We enjoy being the friend everyone goes to for advice or the coworker that presents professional developments because we're doing a phenomenal job. The moment we feel useless or unsuccessful in our inner circles, we collapse into ourselves. Thoughts flood our minds with, I'm not good enough for this job. I'm not a present friend. I'm not giving my all to this relationship. I did the workout not as great as I wanted to. I'm so lazy. I'm giving all aspects of my life 50% of me and not 100. As we go through the state of intrusive thoughts, our perfectionism self-talk comes into play. What is perfectionism though? It's the refusal to accept any standard short of perfection. The idea of perfectionism does not start in adulthood. It's intertwined in our childhoods, and we did not even realize. As children, we often refuse to do homework. 
go to that dance recital or sports games because we were not perfect at that skill. Sorry, my dogs are barking in the back. That's what happens when you have a chihuahua. What we tend to forget is we are human. Naturally, we as a human race are imperfect. If you are perfect, I'm about to blow your cover. You are not a robot. Humans are meant to be lifelong learners. Over the course of our lifetime, we learn so much and gain new ideas, skills, and motivations. We do not pop out of the womb with a doctorate degree. We learn, we apply, we share our knowledge with others. Here's a statement to put into your mind. We are all just trying to figure it out. We're all just winging it, working hard, and hoping for the best. Breathe, my friend. I'm an educator with a double master degree, teaching during a pandemic. You best believe I'm trying to just figure it out. I am far from perfect right now. Teaching during these crazy times has taught me many life lessons, and one of them is I'm not perfect. Yes, I'm amazing at my job, I love what I do, and it's my passion to teach the youth of America their history. However, I am far from perfect. Some days I have great virtual lessons and students are engaged, but there are other lessons where it's just me talking because the three kids in the room are tired and we're just trying to make it through the day. That lesson also happened to be when my assistant principal walked in and observed the class. She thought the lesson was overall good, but it wasn't my best and the kids need to be more engaged. Instead of saying, okay, thank you for your feedback, I'll work on it, like I always do, and then go cry in my classroom because it wasn't a perfect lesson, I spoke up. I expressed to her the reason for my method of teaching this lesson. With our rotated ABC schedule, I haven't seen this class in a week and I was catching up um, with their understanding of the content. When this class is at home, they barely did any work and it's the last period of the day. They were tired, they sit in one classroom all day staring at a computer with a mask on. So I took the lead in the lesson. She understood and advised just to keep my lessons as engaging as possible. I absorbed her advice and I'll work on the balance of rigorous instruction and also reading the room. I was proud of myself. I always strive for perfection at my job. I had the thought process of if I'm not perfect at my job, why am I here? I often struggle with imposter syndrome and still do. If every lesson wasn't perfect, I was a terrible teacher and I have no idea what I'm doing. What is imposter syndrome, you may ask? It's the persistent inability to believe that one's success is deserved or has been legitimately achieved as a result of one's own effort or skills. I would feel as though I did not deserve this job if I wasn't the best. I wasn't the best if my assistant principal wasn't impressed by my work. Gosh, that was so exhausting. I began to learn though, as long as my students are happy and learning, that's what matters. Not every lesson is going to be amazing and that's okay. Some of my best lessons were when I read the room and changed my plans and had a great discussion with them. Do not fear failure. It will suck the passion right out of you. Perfection steals your creativity. Forgive yourself and learn from failure. From when we're young, we learn the behavior of perfectionism. Perhaps we should take a step back and teach learning rather than success. Success shows up in many different ways. Encourage the process rather than the product. I try to implement this motivation in my classroom. Encourage work ethic rather than a grade. 
the reason for this change of encouragement is to teach students that perfection is not success. Learning and hard work is. We are all works in progress, constantly growing and improving oneself. Do not drink the poison of perfectionism. Your worth should not be measured on your perfect job, perfect body, perfect house, perfect car, etc. Your worth is determined by you. Give yourself credit. You wake up every day, no matter how dark life may be feeling, and you get things done. Accept constructive criticism and learn from it. You're not an awful person if you make a mistake. Be creative and take chances in this life. In the wise words of Bruno Mars, you're amazing just the way you are. And now that you don't have to be perfect, you can be good. John Steinbeck. I hope you guys enjoyed that little story time blog blurb. Again, that blog can be found on medium.com. Um, and the link for that blog is in my bio on my Instagram. So now let's move on to what is imposter syndrome. I mentioned it a little bit in my blog. And so I want to read you guys the uh, Google definition that I have because millennial and I love to just Google things when I want the exact answer. So imposter syndrome refers to an internal experience of believing that you are not as competent as others perceive you to be, which is like, it's wild to me that people just assume they're not good at something or they're like faking it till they make it, but they have all these credentials. They, they did all the work to get to where they are in life and they still feel like someone's going to figure them out that they're not as good as people actually perceive them to be. And I realized this is what I do um, as I was having a conversation with my therapist one time and I was telling her about my work ethic. So I've grown up with when you work hard, you get what you want. Instilled in my brain, if you work hard, you study, you try your best, you are going to get your goals that you're trying to accomplish, which is definitely true. But a side effect of that mentality is you need to always do a good job. When you don't do a good job, you're useless. So everyone would always compliment me through my life. Oh, Allie has like such a great work ethic, work ethic, work ethic, work ethic. She always, you know, keeps climbing and keeps doing what she has to do. She always hands in her assignments on time. She's always on time for things in general. And so I kind of always had these, you know, ideas and cloud around my head of my worth is my work ethic, right? Everyone finds value in me because of my good work ethic at volleyball practice, in school, at work, right? Allie is always reliable because she always makes sure she has things done. And that's a very good quality. And I love that quality about myself. But I constantly feel throughout that kind of process of my work ethic is all that I am. I constantly fear messing up because people rely on me so much for my wonderful work ethic. So for example, you know, when I was growing up with my sister and I, she's five years older than me, I'm the youngest. And 
you know, she was kind of the, she's the first child. So she was kind of allowed to make the mistakes because she's the first kid and she can just kind of, she was just cruising through life. My parents were cruising through life with her because they, you know, she was their first child. And so she was, you know, making the mistakes and it became kind of this like typical notion like, oh, Erica, she made a mistake. That's just what she does. Where me being the second child, my parents learned from the mistakes of my sister as parents. And so then they made sure that, you know, they learned their parenting skills and brought it to me. And then I was this perfect child that I was always this good child. And I never made a fuss or anything like that. And whenever I did make a fuss, it was like this huge deal. And so as I was talking to my therapist about that, that I'm always afraid of like, I don't even like telling my parents when I fail at work, like as a full grown adult at 26 years old, you know, she was like, Ellie, I feel like, have you ever seen yourself as a perfectionist? And I was like, no, but now that you say it, it kind of makes sense because not honestly, you guys, not until recently, I would never try new things if I knew I wasn't going to be good at it. I would never try a new skill if I was like, that is not for me. I am not doing it. I don't want to make a fool of myself. That is the biggest thing with perfectionism along with imposter syndrome is you don't want to mess up and make a fool of yourself. You are afraid of failure because you don't want to look stupid. At the end of the day, you you don't want to seem incompetent. And I realized that I have such a strong work ethic because I'm a perfectionist, because I don't want to hand things in if it's not perfect. I would hate getting feedback on, you know, papers in college and getting like comments on my essays and stuff like that. I'd be like, oh, they don't know what they're talking about, whatever. And I did not take constructive criticism. Even sometimes too, I wouldn't take constructive criticism very well um, after like a teacher observation. And I remember one time I, um, didn't get the best review uh, from my principal and all the reviews before that were like effective and highly effective as a teacher. And then um, one year I just, it wasn't a good lesson and I understand that. And I got a developing and I was already like my second or third year in. So it was my first like quote unquote failure, if you will, um, in front of my principal. And I, after I got my feedback, I went back into my classroom, guys, and I literally sat at my desk and I hysterically cried, hysterically cried at my desk at work because I was not perfect because my first year of teaching, she saw one of my lessons and she gave me, you know, effective. And then my assistant principal came over to me and she goes, you know, you should be so proud of yourself for that. She rarely gives effective to first year teachers. So there you go. There's that like that high expectation, that high expectation that you need to be perfect now for the rest of the time that you're here. So when I got, you know, the developing status I think it was year three, I hysterically cried. I broke down and I actually called my boyfriend and I was like, I want to quit. I hate it here. Like all of these things because I wasn't perfect, that all of my observations were good. And now I finally got like a, I would say needs to improve, wouldn't say a bad review, but a needs to improve and I just broke down. I was like, well, my teaching career is over. I'm a failure. I need to leave this place. I need to go somewhere. I was, I couldn't do it. I literally could not do it. And I had a, I had class the next period. 
So I called my boyfriend and I vented and all these things. And he's like, it's okay. You can just make up for it. You know, that was your first observation of the year, so on and so forth. And I just didn't believe him. I was like, no, like my principal now thinks I'm a failure. I'm never going to get tenure. All, you know, the anxiety spiral just kept going. And then I literally had to wipe off my tears. The bell rang. I had to wipe off my tears. And I had a, a class of 28th graders walk in. I had to teach them about imperialism. And I did it. Um, but my students knew. They were, like, looking at me all weird. And one of my students, she was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm totally fine. Why? And she goes, you just seem a little off. And I was like, oh, I'm just tired. And I wish I could like, I wish I took a step back and like stopped and like kind of made that a teachable moment, like saying that, you know, I failed and this is how I reacted and kind of make that into like a teachable moment. But I just was like, you know, you need to be a professional at work. I was like, you know what, just me. And then I actually, after that was, it was a Friday. And then I went to Nashville with a few of my friends with that observation in the back of my head. I was so upset going to, to Nashville. And I love country music. This was like a dream come true. And the whole plane ride, I was sitting next to my really good friend, Angelina. And I was like, you know, now our principal thinks I'm a failure. She doesn't think I'm a good teacher, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, Angelina, bless her soul. She was like, you know, just maybe, you know, take her feedback into consideration and then just learn from it. And trust me, you know, we have a hundred and something teachers at my school. And um, she's like, she's not, she's not going to remember it. Like, basically, like, it's going to be like, you know, five minutes and then you're going to have another really good observation and she'll totally forget the, you know, so-so observation because it wasn't a bad observation. It just wasn't my best. And I was like, you know what, Angelina, you're right. You know, water under the bridge. And I took the feedback. And then um, a couple of weeks later, um, an assistant principal actually came in to a lesson with the same class. And I was practicing the um, constructive criticism I learned from my observation. And she told me that I did so much better. She took a look at my previous observation and she said I did so much better. I was so much more confident all of these things. And I was like, oh, okay, now I'm a good teacher again. Do you see how it is where, you know, I was basing my worth as a teacher off of one observation, where usually there's like 180 school days, and you usually get three to four observations, three to four observations a year out of 180 days. So you can't let one failure completely control you know your worth as a professional whatever job that you're doing but having imposter syndrome kind of brings you into that sphere of thinking where you think you're kind of faking it till you make it that you're just kind of winging it until someone figures out you have no idea what you are doing and that's kind of what it felt like that you know i became a teacher at 23 and I thought I was like, I was like, oh my God, I'm so lucky. Like this never happens getting like a teaching career out of college, 23, I'm now 26 and I'm up for tenure. Like that doesn't happen. And I figured like, I'm just, I'm winging it. Like I know what I'm doing, but like I'm winging it until someone like figures out, you know, that I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, 
And then also you kind of start comparing yourself to the veterans, right? The veteran teachers that, been, that have been teaching for 15, 20 years and you go and see their lessons and you're like, oh, wow, I am not, I need to get my life together here because their lessons are so much better than mine. And I don't know about you guys, but whenever there's like meetings, like staff meetings, um, professional development meetings and stuff like that, where other teachers are sharing what they, they do, which are like really awesome ideas, I feel like the worst afterwards. And I don't know if you guys feel the same if you're also a teacher or if you have office jobs where you have like staff meetings and people, you know, talk about what they accomplish and meeting quotas and all these things. I always feel like trash after um, professional developments or staff meetings where people are sharing all their great ideas because it makes me feel like I'm not doing enough. And that's not to their fault. That's a me thing that I've learned that, you know, just because a teacher has a really great idea doesn't mean your ideas aren't good. And I also realized as a teacher that we all teach different children. So you're going to have different lessons. And as long as it works for your children, as long as it works for your students and they're learning, they're having fun, they're having a good time in your class and they're succeeding and you're helping them in some way, you know, that's what matters. And that's what I've kind of learned throughout my now four years of teaching and kind of helped with my imposter syndrome a little bit is you're doing the best you can with what you have, right? Your knowledge, your skills, you're doing your best. And Imposter syndrome, it makes you think that you're not capable of a job that you are capable of doing. And um, I follow this really amazing Instagram called at her power suits. I'm going to put the um, Instagram link in the show notes. And they had a really awesome post about imposter syndrome. And it's basically all about it's self-doubt and you self-sabotage yourself that you like don't believe that you deserve to be at your job or your school or on a team you think you got there by luck and you know if you make like one or two mistakes you're going to be fired or kicked off the team or, or whatever that you're doing and it it's crazy that you have all these qualifications and you did work really hard to get where you are, but your mind plays this trick on you. And that's what I have to break down to is imposter syndrome is your mind playing tricks on you. Anxiety as well is your mind playing tricks on you because we still have this primal instinct in our heads that anxiety, your ego, imposter syndrome is there to like keep you in your special box in your safe box because you know, I'm a social studies teacher. Here's me a little lesson. You know, when humans were nomads and hunters and gatherers, it was all about survival, right? That you, your brain needed to keep you safe. So a saber toothed tiger didn't eat you. Okay. But we live a very different life where our ego, our anxiety, our imposter syndrome are protecting us from taking risks and trying new things because of this fear of failure. And that comes from that fear of the lack of survival when back when we were hunters and gatherers. Our life isn't like that anymore. But our mind, our primal mind, has not realized that yet. And it's still a defensive mechanism. So that way we're protected. And if we go out of our comfort zone, that's a threat. And we don't wanna you know, take that chance because we might fail. And it's wild that our brain 
plays tricks on us because we can be so much more if we just changed our mindset and talked ourselves out of it. I can't tell you throughout my life how many times I I let my quote unquote perfectionism or imposter syndrome and anxiety stop me from being the person I really, really wanted to be, especially middle school and high school. I did not take any chances. I wouldn't even tell boys that I liked them because I was a, a, you know, the fear of rejection and all of those things. What boy could like me? You know, what boy could find me attractive? I'm not even going to tell them. And, you know, it, it really kind of made me stagnant in my life at that point. And I really tried to get out of it in college as well. But college, it was a very similar situation because I was on a sports team as well. And you're comparing yourself to your other teammates and all of those things. And so it's stopping you from taking chances. And it wasn't until recently into adulthood that I realized that you need to just get out of that comfort zone and just try new things. Who cares, right? Who cares? And if you fail, you learned a lesson and you move on. I think that kind of no care lifestyle really comes with age because as you grow older, you care less about what people are going to say about you. You care less about what people think of you. And I wish I can go back to high school alley and be like, girlfriend, no one cares if you want to be in the school play. No one cares if you love to sing, sing. No one cares um, if you want to try out a new outfit, wear it, love it, work it. Right. And I would stop myself from doing that. I would stop myself from wearing certain outfits because maybe I thought my body type wasn't right for it, but I really wanted to wear it. Or I wouldn't raise my hand in class even though I knew the answer because I was afraid of that 1% chance I didn't know the answer. I'd look like a fool in front of all my classmates and I, I couldn't even bear to stand that. And also on the Her Power Suits Instagram on that post where they talk about imposter syndrome. It says that imposter syndrome um, is more frequent in women than it is men because of the way that boys and girls are educated and raised. And as an educator, I have an inside look on that. And I agree that both boys and girls, especially in education, you know, it differs from household to household. Totally agree with that. But education the standard American education system is very different in response to girls and boys. For example, when I'm teaching a class, the one, the students that raise their hands the most are boys. Um, The students that kind of take charge during a presentation are boys. The students that take the leadership role in group work are usually boys. Where girls, they're more, and I was like this as a student too, that girls kind of are intrusive with their intelligence. They don't like to share out their intelligence because I think as an American society, boys are brought up with share your ideas, take control of the situation, you know, be the leader, you know, be the man, all those things where girls are taught to be soft-spoken, taught to be nice and kind and a caretaker, which is all well and good. But girls are not taught to be leaders and strong and outspoken. So then when they come into the classroom, you can see 
the difference of interactions within a whole lesson. And then I noticed too, that girls who are more outspoken in my lessons are tend to be seen a little bit differently by their peers than um, boys who are more outspoken. Whereas, you know, boys who are outspoken in a classroom, they can be, you know, seen as smart or seen as a natural leader or even the class clown, you know, dropping jokes and stuff like that, where girls are afraid to show their personality in a classroom because they're so afraid to be judged by boys, to be judged by other girls in the classroom. There are so many times where I would see, and I'm not kidding, in the middle of a lesson, just like doing group work and I'm walking around checking on groups and I would see girls in my class like on the verge of tears. And I'm like, hey, let's go outside. Are you okay? Let's go talk in the hallway. And we talk in the hallway and I'm like, what's wrong? Are you okay? And, you know, girl students will be like, so-and-so is spreading this rumor about me because something I said yesterday in class, yada, yada. Like, what? What? And so, unfortunately, in the school system, girls are you know, programmed to be kind of the supportive role. Or maybe if there's a presentation, a lot of the female students, they'll, you know, they'll write the script, if you will, for the presentation. And then the male students will be the ones actually presenting because of this internal fear of this fear of judgment. Because, you know, especially now, even on social media, that girls intrusively judge themselves and they're afraid of judgment from others as well. And I think we definitely, in the education system, need to flip that script that no matter what gender you associate with, you should show off your personality, show off your hard work, show off your knowledge, right? If you know the answer, raise your hand and be encouraged to do that. Be encouraged with your work ethic because the reason imposter syndrome, and it's definitely in men, but it is more prominent in um, women, is because of the way that women are brought up in this country. And it's definitely changing, right? Um, definitely girl students are more outspoken than the girl students when I was um, in school as a millennial. So Gen Z is definitely working it up. Um, but I think it's because now... Gen Z students have a lot more female, you know, leaders to look up to and, and know that it's okay to be a leader and, you know, being assertive, right? That you can be a leader in a presentation and, you know, be kind of distributing different jobs in a group and not be bossy. You're being assertive. Because a lot of the times a group work too, that they would be like, oh, she's bossing me around. And I'm like, okay, what is she telling you to do? Oh, your work? okay, well, she's keeping you on task. That's not being bossy. That's keeping you on task so you can complete your work. That's a good thing. So kind of shifting the narrative of how, you know, boys and girls interact with each other in the classroom and then eventually interact as men and women in the real world is a very important thing because anxiety and imposter syndrome are very prominent more in women. And it's just because that we as women are taught to not be outspoken because if you are, you're a loud mouth. If you are, you know, sharing your knowledge or a know-it-all, why? Why is that a thing? So then as an adult, when you have all these qualifications for the job that you have, you start second guessing yourself. And there's a direct correlation there because you think you can't handle it or you're faking it till you make it because you're afraid of messing up.
you fear of acting a fool. And I think we need to definitely start teaching this in our education system is it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to have, you know, one failing grade, make it up. And a lot of students, both male and female, they, they lose motivation um, to, to f- improve their grades because they don't really, they feel like they don't have a chance to make it up. So um, definitely, especially this year, you know, learning during a pandemic, I've given a lot more as a teacher makeup days and makeup opportunities because I think students believe that, oh, if I just hand something in and then I fail, that's it. Where I think there should be more makeup um, opportunities. So that way, students learn that failure is a lesson. You learn from it and you make it up. Right. And you try and do better. It's not the be all end all, because what happens then now we're in adulthood and we're we are afraid to make a mistake and we're afraid if we make one mistake, we're going to get fired from our job. And that's simply not okay. It's not the truth. And our mind is playing tricks on us. So that was my tangent. (laughs) Um, And now I also want to talk about another um, Instagram that helped me kind of research more about imposter syndrome. Uh, It is at not your average therapist. I'm going to put her um, Instagram in my show notes as well. She is a licensed therapist. I believe she's in her 20s, probably around my age. And she makes awesome posts um, as a therapist to kind of help people learn more about mental health and how to, you know, have different coping mechanisms. And it's a really great um, account to follow if you're looking for more inspirational and helpful accounts to follow on your own Instagram. And she made a post called the different types of imposter syndrome. So here I'm learning more. I thought imposter syndrome was just, you know, you feel like you're not qualified for the job that you're doing and you're afraid of failure, afraid of messing up and someone's going to catch you in the act of failing. But there's different types. So here are the different types. There's the perfectionist, the soloist, the super person, and the natural genius. And I'm looking through them like, oh, I wonder which imposter syndrome type I am. And I was all of them. I was like, wow, yeah, I'm literally all of them. And now whenever we talk about, you know, imposter syndrome or anxiety or the different types of imposter syndrome, I do this research to just learn more about myself, but I don't put myself in a box. I think that's a very important thing to talk about before I go through the different types is I'm just sharing this information with you so you can maybe understand your reactions to things more, but don't put yourself in a box. Don't be like, oh, I'm a perfectionist and that's why I'm the way I am and I can't grow from it. Or I have anxiety and that's all I am and I can't learn or grow from it. No. That's why I also like doing the personality tests to not put myself in a box of, oh, this is my personality. This is just the way that I am. I like learning about those things and sharing that information with people so you can understand how your brain works and then learn about your brain and your personality and kind of then grow and improve yourself from the knowledge that you have because you have the power to be whatever person you want to be. You can have anxiety, you can have imposter syndrome, you can have different things going on and it's very important to understand how those things work in your brain to be like, okay, this is what's going on. How can I learn from it? How can I improve from it? Should I go talk to a professional? Should I go to the doctor, right? Learning about yourself to take action, to do something about it. So don't put yourself in a little box, right? Learn from it. So I want to kind of go through 
with you guys the different types of imposter syndromes that I just went over with y'all. So just give me one second. Let me just go to the post because I want to make sure I'm talking about this correctly. So again, this is um, from Not Your Average Therapist. This is her post and it's what is your imposter type. So the perfectionist. Hello. <laughs> definitely me that I cannot hand in anything without it being perfect. So this is what her post said. They strive to do the best despite the consequences to their physical and mental health. They set excessively high goals and standards. And then when it's not reached, they experience major self-doubt and shame around not measuring up. Whoa, it's like someone followed me in my life. That yes, perfectionist, they want to meet that deadline. They want to complete that project, complete that lesson, no matter what. Whether, even if it affects their mental health or their physical health, they need to get it done. They need to be perfect. And I kind of realized that with myself too, as I grew older, where I was like, no, I can't go hang out because I need to get this done. And that's not necessarily, it's always like work hard, play hard, which I totally agree with. But I think it's more important to set specific time where, okay, from for this hour, I'm going to work on my lessons or, you know, project or whatever you want to work on. And then this couple of hours, save this time to hang out with friends and family, right? I learned that it's very important to have a good work ethic and time block. So you can have that couple hours to do the work you got to do. Once that time is up, it is now to take out the mindset of work and then go and enjoy your life. And that's what I kind of learned about my my therapist pointing out that I was a perfectionist and that my hard work and intense work ethic is taking a toll on my mindset and, you know, how I spend my life. And I need to kind of reflect on that. But with imposter syndrome and the perfectionist, they set, and I do this, set such high expectations for themselves. And then when they don't reach those expectations, they feel like a failure and they are useless and incapable. And I think it's very important with coping with imposter syndrome to set realistic expectations. Still hold yourself to high standard, but a realistic high standard where it doesn't take a toll on how you think about yourself. Then there's the soloist. They feel as if they are asking for help and when so when they do ask for help, they are proving that they're incompetent and that they should be able to complete tasks on their own. They refuse help and asking for it is so that they can prove their own worth. So again, I definitely do. I hate asking for help. Oh, I hate asking for help because when you, for some reason, I feel, and this is just me, and I definitely don't preach this, I hate asking for help because I want to be independent. I want to be like, I can do things on my own to not need anyone's help. And I I always thought like asking for help made me seem silly. Like I wouldn't even want to ask my teacher for help. Like I would ask another student because I feared of looking silly or incompetent. And even at work now, like I hate asking you know, other colleagues for help or even asking my assistant principal for help because I want to look like, oh, Allie knows what she's doing. She got this. She don't need any help. And I realize that's just a very lonely way to go. And asking for help doesn't mean you don't know what you're doing. You're just trying to improve yourself. So I found a really good um, friend and colleague at work and she's a veteran teacher. And so if I have any questions about a lesson or an idea, I go to her 
And I've learned that it's okay to ask for help. And you're not a burden if you ask for help from your colleagues. If you're like, hey, do you mind if I go to you if I ask you for questions as like a mentor? And if they're like, yeah, sure. Don't feel like a burden because you're not. But that's what a soloist feels like. Oh, there goes my dog again. Is it a car? Is it a dog? Is it is it the mailman coming through? You never know with a chihuahua. It could be the wind. You'll just never know. But anyways, as a soloist, you do not want to ask for help because you feel like you're not smart enough, basically, which is not true. The next type is the super person. They believe that they do not measure up to their colleagues and peers, so they push themselves to work harder to measure up regardless of consequences. This is usually to cover up insecurities. So again, kind of very similar to the soloist where the super person feels like they are in a job where everyone's so much better than them, so they don't want to ask for help and they Feel like they can't measure up to their colleagues and so they work themselves and overwork them to make these you know expectations so they feel like they fit in and i definitely feel like that as a super person because i'm the youngest um social studies teacher in my school so i feel like i have a lot to live up to because all the other veteran teachers have been around for you know eight to twenty something years so they've been doing this for quite some time so if we're like in a you know department meeting and we're all sharing what we're doing for lessons i like don't like to share because <laughs> What am I going to offer to them? I think to myself, what what strategies am I going to offer to them that they're going to gain from it? And that's what I always thought. And then one day, I remember I was talking about something with like technology and, and they thought it was like a really great idea. And I realized, oh, I'm the millennial. I am the youngest one. I'm all with the technology. So I can help the veteran teachers with technology, right? So you're not incompetent. <laughs> right? You still have different things to share and it's okay, but the super person feels like they need to work harder to to gain some sort of, you know, success according to comparison with their colleagues. And then last but not least is the natural genius. They struggle with perfectionism and that if they cannot get something right or done the first time quickly or easily, then they feel shameful. They usually set the bar high as well as um, have extremely high expectations for themselves. So natural genius, again, these are all the different types of imposter syndromes where, again, you don't want to try anything new because you're afraid that you're not going to be good at it the first time. And I think this is where a lot of people get stuck, that they're like, I don't think I'll be good at it the first time, so I don't want to do it and I'm going to stay in my comfort zone. And I kind of felt like that too with different types of lessons where, I would stick to a certain lesson format and I didn't want to divert from the norm of a lesson because I was like, I don't know if it's going to work the first time. And I kind of learned that it's okay if a lesson the first time you teach a lesson, if it doesn't go smoothly because you're teaching this lesson for the first time to the first class. And also it can, the lessons can change from class to class, how they react to it. And you just kind of need to on the fly just like change it up. And it's okay that if, if you're doing something for the first time and you're not perfect at it, that's okay. You can learn from it. So again, that was from at your, um, not your average therapist. Um, again, I'll put her um, link in the show notes. So I figured it would just be a good idea to go through the different types of imposter syndrome and just kind of realize where you fall. Maybe you're more than one. Um, just like I was, I was like, wow, I am all five. Go me. And you just knowing those different types, I think is important because now you're aware of it. 
right? Don't, you're not in a box, but now you are aware and you're like, wow, okay, so that's how I react to it. How can I grow from it and how can I improve from that situation? And so I want to now go through um, our last part of this podcast and talking about how can you cope with imposter syndrome. And again, these are just my ideas that I try and do. If they don't work for you, that's totally fine. I mean, Google can be your best friend. I'm sure there's plenty of other options out there to help you cope with imposter syndrome. Um, But these are just kind of the ideas that I usually do. So what I do if I'm feeling like, wow, I'm not qualified for my job, (laughs) I journal. And what I write down in my journal, I write down all of my qualifications for my job. So I am a social studies teacher, a middle school social studies teacher. So I would write down, okay, what are my qualifications? How did I get here? All right. So I graduated from high school with a great grade point average. Then I got my bachelor's in history and secondary education with a great grade point average. And then I got my master's degree in special education and literacy with a great grade point average. Okay. So I know it's like a reminder. Okay. I know what I am doing. I'm qualified because here are my statistics. Kind of like a baseball card. Or if you're writing in a journal, I also tend to write a love letter to myself. And I write all my really good qualities and why you know people appreciate me and um, all the things I've done for people and all my really great qualities that help me, that help myself, help others. And just writing a love letter to yourself saying, you know, you're proud of all the accomplishments that you've had. You can either write down too. Another thing that I like to do in a journal is writing down my accomplishments so far at being at 26. What have I accomplished throughout my life? And in your love letter, you can talk about your qualifications. You could talk about your accomplishments. You can talk about your personality traits um, that you really like about yourself. Or, you know, you can talk about your hobbies that you really like about yourself and kind of really hype yourself up in that journal entry. Another thing that I do if I'm feeling like, wow, I just have no idea what I'm doing is I reread either, you know, on social media posts or comments or letters from students where I made an impact. So if I'm feeling low that I don't know what I'm doing on social media or I don't know what I'm doing as a teacher, I go back to um, really good blog posts that I wrote where people left comments saying I left a positive impact. I look at Instagram stories or IG or Reels videos that people left comments saying they really loved it. And then I also, I keep student letters um, the saying how being in my class really made an impact on them. So if you have any of those types of things laying around your house, um, or even just taking a look at different accomplishments at your work that you have done. What I sometimes like to do is I take a look at my best work. So if you know if you had a really good presentation or a really good project that you got a, a really good response on, take a look back at it. See what your potential is when you believe in yourself. Look back at an awesome video that you made. Look back at an awesome podcast that you made. Look back at an awesome you know, travel blog that you made, whatever your profession or your hobby is, and you're second guessing yourself, go, you know, past memory lane and look at your best work. And whenever I look back at my best work, 
I remind myself and I'm like, wow, okay, yes, Allie, you, <laughs> you do know what you're doing <laughs> because look at all these letters from students that you made an impact. Look at this awesome lesson where you got highly effective on. Look at, you know, a blog post that you made that changed someone's perspective. You know, re-listen to that podcast where a lot of people said that, you know, it inspired them. Then you remind yourself, you're like, oh, I do know what I am doing. Another way to cope with imposter syndrome is definitely just self-care, self-care routine. Whenever I'm like overwhelmed and I'm like, wow, I don't know what I'm doing. I, again, I go take a nice hot shower and I wash my hair and then I blow dry my hair and I, you know, shave and I lotion up, right? And, you know, you, men will never know the feeling of freshly shaved legs in nice clean sheets. Huh. But that's what I do. And I, you know, do a little face mask and I get the heating pad ready to go. And then I just lay in bed and I read some of my book or I watch a episode of, you know, the show that I've been watching. I just finished Cobra Kai. It was a vibe. I loved it. Highly recommended on Netflix. Also Firefly Lane I finished was such an amazing show because I'm on February break right now. So that's why I have all this time to binge watch and complete Netflix series. But that's what I do is when I'm feeling overwhelmed about something, whether it's work or, you know, um, social, you know, insecurities as well, I do a little bit of self-care and I just take myself out. I change my situation that if work is making me anxious or I'm feeling imposter syndrome, I leave the laptop. Okay. I walk away from it and then I go take a shower because when I'm in the shower, is when my creativity flows. I don't know if that happens to anyone else, but when I'm in the shower and I'm just like, you have no distractions. There's no phone, there's no TV, there's no radio, there's nothing. You're just in the shower. And that's where your mind goes clear. And you know, you can think of all these different cool ideas and creative ideas and inspiration. So I do that. So I feel really like refreshed after a shower, do a nice little face mask. Um, and then I just lay in my bed with a heating pad and I watch a show or I read my book and I feel so much better because I changed my situation. Another thing that I do to cope with imposter syndrome is I change the people that I follow on social media because, you know, people on Instagram are called influencers for a reason because they influence the way that you feel. And that's the job, right? So if I'm ever feeling, you know, a little, you know, overwhelmed, I change the people that I follow. I may mute people for a little bit. Um, if like, you know, for my job for teaching, if I'm just following a teacher that like is doing all these crafty, creative things, I'm just kind of not that kind of teacher, but kudos to you guys who are those creative teachers, like those Pinterest teachers, go for it, do your thing. But sometimes if I'm feeling low and, you know, I just don't really want to see them that make me feel less of a teacher. I don't unfollow people usually. I just kind of mute them for a second. And then I, you know, unmute them, you know, whatever type of mood that I'm feeling. But it definitely helps because social media is what we consume the most. You know, I think uh, the boomer generation, if you will, those are my parents' generations, they're mostly influenced by the news and like TV. But I think the millennials and Gen Z are definitely influenced by social media. So definitely cleansing the social media feed. Um, if you are following people that you feel that are toxic, 
unfollow them. But then make sure you follow people that are inspiring, that do send out really good messages and make you feel good about yourself, that are like a little bit of an inspiration every time they post something or you see their story or you see their reel or something like that. And sometimes just that little shift of who you follow on Instagram or TikTok or, you know, Snapchat. I don't even know if anyone uses Facebook. That's more of like (laughs) boomers have taken over Facebook. Um, But just changing your social media feed can definitely help a little bit, right? Like small little changes. Um, And then the Instagram, her power suits on that same post also suggests that having a strong inner circle for motivation can definitely help you with imposter syndrome. And I completely agree with that. I think having a strong, close circle of friends to help uplift you when you're feeling down and to help you remind you of the amazing person that you are is super crucial. I was always the person that was the quality of friends are better than the quantity of friends. So me personally, I would rather have two to three fantastic friends than have 10 friends that are that flutter throughout my life that don't have an effect on me. So if you're feeling imposter syndrome in any way, shape or form, if go and talk to a friend and be like, listen, I'm feeling down. Can you like hype me up? That's what friends are for. Friends, your inner circle are your personal hype men and women. So if you need a little pick-me-up, go talk to a friend, even if it's just texting or you FaceTime or you even call. Oh my goodness, calling people. Whoa, right? It can help you. And I definitely agree with at her power suits in that um, idea that having a strong inner circle to motivate you and inspire you um, is very important. And to make sure your inner circle that you do have is there for that reason. That they need to elevate you. And if you're surrounded by people that don't inspire you, it's not an inner circle, it's a cage. And I heard that saying around and I was like, wow, yeah, that's so true. If you're surrounded by negative people that like to, you know, look at the bad side of things and they don't want to grow and they're not excited about anything or not passionate about anything, that's going to bring you down. So definitely make sure your inner circle is there to inspire you and motivate you and, and make you feel better after you interact with them. Also, what I do to kind of cope with imposter syndrome is I read a ton of self-development, self-help books. So right now I'm reading Choose Wonder Over Worry by Amber Ray. I read a couple of chapters so far, totally into it. But, excuse me, let me just take a drink of water. Um, Two self-development books that really stood out to me about, like the imposter syndrome was 13 Things uh, Mentally Strong Women Don't Do by Amy Morin, and then You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero. Both of those books talk about imposter syndrome and are like, stop it. (laughs) Like, this is what imposter syndrome is, and your mind is playing tricks on you. So a huge thing to do is to learn about it. That's how I like to grow and improve on things is learning about them. So when I first realized that I heavily struggled with anxiety, I researched, I read self-help books about how to cope with anxiety and I researched what is anxiety and why does your mind do those certain things for you? And then I finally went to a therapist and we really dove deep into what is imposter syndrome? What is perfectionism? What is um, anxiety? Why does it happen? You know, where does it come from? And so just reading those books and also doing a little research on my own and finding out why your brain acts the way it does has definitely helped me be more aware 
of my mindset and my perspective and the way I look at things and my reactions to things. And that's how I've began to grow is making myself more knowledgeable of why my brain does things. <laughs> why do these thoughts um, create themselves? Where do they come from? And also what's helped me a lot, especially at work with an imposter syndrome, like I said before, is finding a mentor at work. I think it's definitely a great idea, no matter where you work, is to find a buddy or two and have that inner circle at your job, right? Having your inner circle for your actual, you know, life is very important, but also having an inner circle at work is also very important because work is where you spend a lot of your time and you don't want to be isolated at work. It's a very lonely and sad feeling and you put a lot of pressure on yourself and having like a mentor at work or even a small inner circle at work. It's good because you guys can share and vent and like help each other out with like different ideas that can help at your work zone. So um, me having a mentor of uh, my friend Megan at my school where she also teaches eighth grade social studies. And I think she's been teaching for like eight or nine years. And I always text her or I go to her room and I'm like, hey, do you have any idea of how to teach this lesson? Or do you have any ideas for me? Or I'm thinking of this lesson. What do you think of it? And she has helped me so much. And it's made my imposter syndrome not, I wouldn't say go away, but definitely decreased it. And I'm more aware of when I'm feeling that imposter syndrome. And then I can go to her as my mentor and be like, hey, I need help. <laughs> help me. Um, another thing that's also super important with imposter syndrome is if you can, is talk to a professional about it. And I know I have the ability to and the privilege to go see a therapist. And I know many people don't. Um, but if you are able to, and there's a lot of resources too, to do research on this, um, there's a lot more resources today with therapy. If you're, if you want to look into it, um, I know BetterHelp. I also use BetterHelp, um, which is like the online therapy for a little bit, but I was more of an in-person therapy session. So if you want to look into that as well, and also check if maybe your job covers um, mental health for insurance purposes. But definitely the big, the biggest thing that's helped me with imposter syndrome is talking to my therapist and talking to a professional. Because when you talk to a professional, A, they, they understand what's going on. <laughs> and B, they don't have a bias. Like they're completely objective because they're not in your life, right? They're not your inner circle. So they can look at a situation from a very objective perspective and they can give you feedback that is actually going to help you. And they are professional. They know what they're talking about. They know how to help you kind of talk through um, whatever feeling that you have. And it helps you understand yourself better. So if you are able to definitely go and speak to a professional. I know there's like this whole stigma around going to therapy. Um, like, you know, you're broken if you go to therapy, but I simply don't believe that. I think that going to therapy has made me a stronger person. It's made me more aware of my mindset and um, definitely find resources. If you are not able to go to therapy, definitely find there's so many online resources, especially since the pandemic where um, the thought of mental health really have increased as a society because we're going through a pandemic. 
So definitely reach out to any different resources of professionals that can help you um, with your mindset because doing that definitely just helped me understand why things happen and has made me see the world in a different way. So I highly suggest that if you can. We are now coming to the close of this episode. I hope you guys really enjoyed my kind of perspective of imposter syndrome and hopefully some of the things that I did mention to help cope with imposter syndrome can help you in some way, shape, or form. And if you ever feel like you're not qualified for what you're doing or you're faking it, someone's going to find you out or, you know, people perceive you as more competent than you actually are. Take that time to step back and remind yourself of how great of a person you are. You Here's a friendly reminder. You got to the place where you are now because of your hard work, because of your qualifications, because of your work ethic. You know what you're doing. You wouldn't have been hired at your job if you didn't know what you were doing. You wouldn't have been accepted to that school if you didn't know what you were doing. And at school and at your work, just know that it is okay to make a mistake. Learn from that mistake. Ask for help if you can. Create that inner circle at work. Create that inner circle at school so that way you can receive help because you're not in a certain place just by pure luck. You know what you're doing. It's okay to fail. Take that lesson, learn from it. If you didn't do well on a review, take a look at the review and see what your boss wants you to do or what your teacher wants you to do or your professor wants you to do. Take that feedback. And even if you don't agree with that feedback, sometimes you just got to grin and bear it and take the feedback and learn from it because you are where you are today because of you. No one else. It's you. You are an amazing person. You have all the skills in the world and you're still a work in progress and you can only get better from here. Don't let your mind play tricks on you. You got this. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Have a wonderful, mindful Monday and I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. 